Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. Will you put your hands together and welcome everybody who's joining us online this morning? Thank you so much for stopping by, and if you're ever in the area, join us one Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11 o'clock. For the past month, we've been in a series called Riddle Me This. It's the cautionary tale of Samson's life. And we've been looking at the mistakes he made so that we can avoid them. How many of you know we should learn from others' mistakes? You should also learn from your mistakes so that we don't keep on repeating the same bad patterns that produce the same bad results. Uh, They say that doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, is insanity. How many of you can, uh, can claim a little bit of insanity in your life? I know that I can. Like, I, this time it's going to be different. I just know that this time it's going to be different. And guess what? It's, it's not. But the next time is going to be different. And then I just, you know, I, I dig the hole deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until I feel like I'm stuck in this hole. We don't want to do that anymore. Uh, because I want us to live God's best life available. How many of you want to live the best life that God has made available to you? It is all available it is all available, and that's what we've been dealing with in this series. And today, the title is going to be The Problem with Holiness and the Truth About Transformation. The Problem with Holiness and the Truth About Transformation. And I know some of you right now are thinking, there's nothing wrong with holiness, brother. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, because without holiness, nobody's going to see God. And that is true. Holiness is very important. There is no problem with true biblical God holiness. The problem is with what we have defined as holiness and what we have tried to do to achieve holiness. We think holiness looks a lot different than it actually does. And so we're going to start in Judges, the 16th chapter. This is the story of Samson and Delilah that we've been dealing with throughout the entire month. We're going to hop right into verse 18. Today, there's going to be a lot of scripture reading, so I'd encourage you to follow along on the screens. Don't try to flip because you'll be so busy flipping that you'll miss everything that's being said. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast, watch the video on YouTube, because this is something that you need to hear over and over and over and over again. Just nudge the person next to you and say, this is something you need to hear. It's not just something you need to hear, it's something you need to receive, it needs to get into your heart, it needs to become a part of your nature. This is something you have to know. If you do not know what we're talking about today, you're going to frustrate your life. Okay, so Judges, the 16th chapter, verse 18, the Bible says, When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands and she made him sleep on her knees and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head so let me just pause before samson was created in his mother's womb god had a purpose for him and how many of you know god has a purpose for you too before he formed you in your mother's womb god knew you and he had a purpose for you same was true for samson and so god tells samson's mom Samson's going to be powerful, he's going to do some incredible things, but he can never shave his head. That's a part of the the covenant that I'm going to make. As long as he keeps his hair, he'll keep his strength. But if he goes to great clips, it's done. 
And so Samson trusts the long, wrong person. He lays his head in the wrong lap. And Delilah betrays him and has them shave off the locks of his head. Then, the Bible says, she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him. Now, this is important. They seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. The story ends with Samson's hair growing. He prays, and his strength returns. The big idea of this entire series is God's design for your life is the best design for your life. Can you turn to the person next to you and just say, God's design for your life is the best design for your life. All of the pain and suffering that we deal with, all of the issues that we wrestle with in life are a result of us choosing our desire over God's design. That's the narrative that runs throughout Scripture and throughout history. In the beginning of time, there was an angel named Lucifer. He decided my desire is better than what God has designed, and it got him kicked out of heaven, and now we know him as what? Satan or the devil. God places Adam and Eve in the garden in a perfect environment. I mean, get this. They are running around naked eating fruit. It doesn't get much better than that. This is a perfect place, a perfect environment. They're living and dwelling in the presence of God, but they chose their own desire over God's design. They got kicked out of heaven, sin entered the world, and now you get arrested if you walk down the street eating fruit naked. All through history, People have chosen their desire over God's design, and it always ends badly. It never ends good. I want you to know this because some of you in here, you're thinking, well, I'm going to try it one more time. Your desire will never end better than God's design. It always ends bad because the wages of sin is death, always. And sin is living in opposition to God's design. I want to say that one more time. Sin is living in opposition to God's design for your life. Many times when we try to categorize sin, we'll label things like murder, adultery, lying, stealing. All of those are sin. But anything that goes against God's design for your life is sin for you. The Bible says in James, the fourth chapter, it says, for if anyone knows to do right and chooses not to do it for that person, it is what? Sin. Think about Jonah, if you're familiar with his story. He decides he's not going to go preach where God told him to preach, and that was sin for Jonah. Samson continually chose his desire over 
God's design. And it cost him his sight. It cost him his freedom. And the enemy he was designed to destroy was destroying him. The enemy that God created him to conquer was now conquering him. The reason I bring that up is because you and I were designed by God and created to rule and reign in life. Did you know that? You were created by God to rule and reign in life. But many times, many times we live under the sin and the condemnation and the temptations and the trials that God has actually designed for us to stand on top of because we don't understand what Jesus accomplished. And if you do not understand what Jesus accomplished for you, you will always live under what God has designed you to stand on top of. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It is very, very important. God has called you to be the head and not the tail above and not beneath, to only move forward, to never go backwards. But if you don't understand what Jesus has done, you're always going to live underneath everything that you should be standing on top of because what you do not know is hurting you the bible says in the book of hosea says my people this is talking about god's people it's not talking about the world it's not talking about sinners it's not talking about people who have absolutely rejected god or pretend like he's not real it's saying my people are destroyed you know how by their lack of knowledge what you do not know is hurting you if you do not understand the cross of Christ, you will always live under what you should stand on. And you will never experience the freedom that God has made available to you. I, I want to look at Genesis, the first chapter, because I want to begin to outline God's design for your life. Let's look at this together. Genesis 1, 26. The Bible says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Here's God's design for humanity. He says, be blessed, be fruitful, and have dominion. Live under the blessing of God and the favor of God. Be fruitful in the area that God has called you to. And have Dominion, learn how to stand on top of the things that God has called you to stand on top of. The problem is Adam and Eve messed this all up. The authority that they had, they gave away. They released it by choosing their desire over God's design. And so from that time on, we are all caught in this cycle of losing. But here's the good news. Watch this. Romans 5, 17 says, For if, because of one man's trespass, 
This is talking about Adam. If because of what Adam did, death reigned through that one man, much more. Somebody say much more. Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made, say it with me, righteous. In other words, Jesus fixed what Adam broke. Jesus became the solution to an issue that no one else could take care of. And his victory has now become our victory. His death has become our life. His brokenness has put us back together and his authority has now given you dominion over sin and death and temptations and trials. It now all belongs under your feet. Darkness no longer has power over me. I have power over it because of what Christ has done. You've got to understand this today. The reason so many of us struggle with temptation and sin is because we don't understand the cross. We think the cross is all about just getting us to heaven. And that is a wonderful promise that one day we will live in eternity with God. But the cross of Christ is more than just eternity. It is about reestablishing and reconnecting you to the position you were designed to live in right here and right now. Somebody say right here, right now. Tell the person next to you, I am called to rule and reign in life. God's put some stuff under my feet. But if I don't have vision, if I don't have vision, I will never reign in life. If I don't have a vision of what God has done for me, if I don't have a vision of who God is, if I don't have a vision of who God has called me to be, I will never reign in life. The first thing that happens to Samson is his eyes are taken out. They gouge out his eyes. They remove his vision. They remove his ability to see. Now he's forced to grind at the mill, and he's doing it under his own power. Day after day, grinding at the mill, going in circles, is spending a lot of energy, but not getting anywhere not really getting any results. That's how we live when we don't understand Christ and what he's done. We get stuck trying to deal with sin in our own power. And we do a lot of things that look good and look what other people would call holy, and we have like a Christian vocabulary, but we're still pressing at the mill and we're not getting anywhere. We're still wrestling with the same temptation and sin that we wrestled with 20 years ago, and we have no freedom, and we have no freedom because we're trying to do it on our own, in our own strength, and you cannot. You can't do it. 
That's the problem with holiness. The problem with holiness is the way it's been taught to us. And some of you grew up with this religious system where it taught you that holiness was what you do. It's all about how you act. It's all about how you talk. It's all about what you can accomplish. It's all about what you do and nothing about what Jesus has done. Jesus is just a flannel board character in the background of your life that you're trying to live holy. Anybody else grow up with like a judgmental system like that? My parents, when, when my parents were coming up, they were taught that you could not drink Coca-Cola because the bottle was shaped like a woman and it could bring you into lust. And so you had all these people not drinking any Coca-Cola and they received no more holiness points at all. They were just frustrated because they had no caffeine. <laughs> My favorite was the Hellavision. Anybody know what the Hellavision is? So y'all don't even know. Y'all grew up at a good time. The Hellavision is the television. And you couldn't have one in your house because that's how the devil's going to come and get you. He's going to sneak in through the airwaves and he's going to wreck your life through the through the television so they called it the television and and uh you couldn't have one in your house did you know there was a time that if you were sick you had to hide it from the people at church because they thought that sickness was because of sin in your life I mean, we produced all kinds of rules and rituals saying, if you'll do this, you'll be holy. Holiness is a haircut. If your hair touches the collar of your shirt, men, you're not holy. You need to get your life right. Ladies, you're wearing that makeup. Wearing that makeup on your face. We know your little Jezebel spirit. We can see you coming from a mile away. Lady in your pantsuit. <laughs> we, we've been ridiculous with this stuff. And it's not made us any more holy. Because holiness cannot be achieved in your own power. <laughs> you can try, but it's going to cause one of three things to happen. One, you're just going to hide it. And this is what people did in the church. They had televisions, but they hid them in their closet so that if anybody came over unannounced, they wouldn't find the television in their house. Even preachers. Preachers who knew in their heart that television wasn't wrong, but their denomination told them that the television was wrong, was wrong was, they were hiding them in their house. So what happens is we, we get to this point to where we realize, well, I can't live to that standard, so I'll hide it so that you think I'm living to that standard. But meanwhile, I'm still watching the television. And my favorite channel is the scrambly one. The other thing you're to do is it'll produce self-righteousness. I'm doing all of this on my own. It's, it's my works that, that make me stand out before God. It's what I do that makes him go, hey, look at that, look at that guy down there. Isn't he doing good? And this produces pride. Pride is against God's design pride will bring a fall pride is sin so even in your attempt to please God you're displeasing God because of the pride in your life the other thing that it will do 
is some people just get so frustrated that they say, oh, I can't keep the rules, so I'm walking away. I mean, I have a friend who, when he was growing up, it was drilled in his head, if you drink a beer, you're going to hell. If you drink a beer, you're going to hell. Smoke a cigarette, guess what? Going to hell. My dad always said, smoking cigarettes will not send you to hell. It'll just make you smell like it. But, you know, this guy, he, he heard all this stuff growing up. Drink a beer, you're going to hell. Well, guess what? He becomes a high schooler, drinks a beer. Well, if I'm going to hell, I might as well drink more than one. So it causes people to completely walk away because you can't keep the rules. You can't keep the rules. You are broken. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You are broken. You cannot keep the rules. Even if you moved to a deserted island, Frank, and no one else is there, you have no television, you have no internet, you have no social media, it's just you there by yourself, you will invent new ways to sin. You know why? Because the Bible says that apart from Christ, we are children of wrath. Our heart is wicked. We are not good people. We, 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 we think that we're good people based upon what we do, but we're no one in here is a good person. We will invent new ways to sin. I mean, think about, think about this. Adam and Eve started off with two sons, Cain and Abel. There's four people in the entire world. Cain kills off 25% of the population. He had no childhood trauma. He had no porn addiction. He had no alcohol or drug addiction. But he did have a wicked heart. So there's no way for us to achieve holiness on our own. And the good news is we don't have to. I want you to see this with me. Romans, the eighth chapter, verse three. The Bible says, for God has done. Who's done it? Say it with me. Who did it? For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Jesus was not sinful. Jesus never sinned, but he came and wore a bodysuit just like you and I. He went through the temptation. He went through the trials, yet remained without sin. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, the law was good, but we were not. And so Jesus came and did for you what you could not do for yourself, and he died the death that you deserve for breaking the law. So when you say, well, I'm going to do it on my own, I'm just going to live a better life, what you are doing is you're saying, I don't need Jesus because I can earn my own righteousness and right standing before God. But the thing is, Jesus plus nothing produces holiness. It's not Jesus plus your haircut. It's not Jesus plus your prayer life. It's not Jesus plus your church attendance that produces holiness. It is Jesus all by himself that accomplished every single thing. If you're thankful for Jesus, just take a moment and let's praise him for a moment. God, we thank you. We honor you.
I'm grateful. You you may not be because you're still trying to figure it out on your own. But I learned that I was a screw-up a long time ago. And I need the mercy and grace of God. I need him in my life. I can't do anything without him. And I don't want to try it because everything that I try to do on my own always ends up terrible. But Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. The law was good. We were weak. That's what it says. It says, God did what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. The purpose of the law, the reason God placed the law there, was to show us, one, how holy God is. Shows us his moral standards. And it should show us how short we fall of his glory. And it should frustrate us towards a Savior. Because we can't achieve this thing on our own. So I see God's standard, but I can't do it. So I need a Savior. I need a Deliverer. That is the purpose of the law. Holiness is the goal. Hear what I'm saying. Holiness is the goal. It's how we try to achieve it that is the problem. Philippians 2.13 says this. Remember, you can't achieve holiness on your own. Just remind the person next to you, you can't do this on your own. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is written by Paul, who at one point in his life, he prided himself in his ability to keep the law. He prided himself in his ability to please God through his actions. I mean, that was Paul. If you read his story, that's, that's, he thought his righteousness was based upon what he did, his good works, his good deeds. But then he says in Philippians 3.8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. It's not about works. It's about your faith. It's about recognizing what Jesus has done, putting your faith in what Jesus has done, and receiving what Jesus has done for you. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. You want to talk about holiness? Here's holiness. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives inside of me. If you see Aram Meshagan do anything good, it's because Christ is living inside of me, not because I'm good. It is what Philippians said, it is God working in me to will and do of his good pleasure. It is God performing his will and his good pleasure through me. I am dead so that he can become alive. My nature did not work. So Aram has to die with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ so that I can be made a whole new man. That's why I become a new creation with a new 
heart because on my own I can't please God. But now God's inside of me. He's working in me and through me to perform his will. Now I've got the power to do what I could not do on my own because of Jesus. Are you following this this morning? This will set you free from the religion you have grown up with. This will set you free from the things that have driven you away from church all your life because you thought it was all about rules and regulations. Yes, there is a standard that we should come to. And yes, there are things that we should walk away from. But it does not happen because we will it to happen. It happens because God begins to shift and change and transform some things in our life so that we are no longer who we used to be, but we are who God has designed us to be. I've been crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If you think you're all that and a box of Cracker Jacks, you're setting yourself up for failure. I have a very short fuse for self-righteous people. I can't handle it. I grew up around it. I went to a private Christian school filled with self-righteous people. And I cannot deal with it at all. Because on the inside, what Jesus would say is you're filled with dead men's bones. You appear good on the outside. You got the haircut they told you to get. You got the cross around your neck, but on the inside, there's all kinds of bitterness and jealousy and judgment. One time they called me into the office because I had bleached my hair blonde. And they said, Arm, you cannot do that. I was the wrong kid to tell that to. I, I knew just enough, I grew up in church, so I knew just enough Bible to get myself in a lot of trouble. She said, Arm, you can't dye your hair. I said, why do you dye yours? <laughs> Think about that. So biblically, you can dye your hair, but I can't dye my hair? Ridiculous the things that we come up with in the name of Jesus and call it holy and right. Did you know there was a time within the Church of God denomination that you could not wear a wedding band if you were a man? Did you know that? If you are in the Church of God and you're a man and you wear a wedding band, you can thank my grandfather because he's the one that went to, to the plate for that one and fought for men to be able to wear their wedding bands. It is foolishness and it produces no righteousness nor holiness in our life. It does the opposite. It drives us further away from God. It is Christ who works in me. So here's the real question, though. If holiness is what we should go after and transformation is what we should desire, because how many of you know God didn't save you to leave you where you are? That's, that's where people mess up with the message of grace. They think grace is all about, well, now that Jesus did what he did, I can live however I want and I'm under grace. That's not biblical grace. Grace is, now I have the power to do what I could not do on my own. Grace is, now I have been enabled by the Holy Spirit to accomplish things within his strength and not my own. That's grace, the ability to become the new person that God has called you to be. But it doesn't happen on your own. So how does it happen? Let's look at it together. Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. A surrendered life is a transformed life. The life that comes to God saying, I can't do this on my own anymore. I I cannot do this. I'm exhausting myself. I am frustrating myself. I need you, Jesus, to be my Savior. I need you to be my Deliverer. And I need you to be my Lord, which means you've got, you call the shots now. That's what we say when we say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. It means you get to call the shots in my life. It's no longer my desire. It is your design. What do you desire for me? I need you. I lay my life down as a living sacrifice. I surrender myself to you. Then he says, once you position yourself to surrender yourself to God, then you can discern or you can know what is good and and acceptable in the eyes of God, which apart from that uh, God and working in your life, you will never know it. You'll just continue making more rules and regulations. That's what the people through Scripture were doing. They kept on making more rules and regulations. God gave Ten Commandments, and by the end of the, you know, by the time man's done with it, we got all kinds of craziness. Because we think rules and regulations are what will save us, but it will not. It is Christ alone. A surrendered life is a transformed life. And I become transformed by the renewing of my mind. Which means this. Christ himself begins to change the way I think. He begins to shift my desires. This happens when you begin to pursue the Word of God. I don't know if you know this, but like the Bible is essential for the life of a believer. It's not an optional thing. Not if you're going to walk in victory. Not if you're going to rule and reign in life. Like the stuff we're talking about today is stuff that you're going to become this by digging into the Scripture and allowing God to begin to direct your path. Because His Word is a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It begins to to figure you out, and it begins to expose some things, and it begins to shift some things. It begins to change some things if you will allow it to. The Word of God is essential. It changes the way you think. And if you'll change the way you think, then you'll change the way you live. One of the biggest transitions and transformations I have seen in my personal life was when I started taking the Word of God and feeding myself with it. I'm not talking about, I have grew up with the Bible stories, I grew up with the memory verses, I grew up with all that. I'm saying when I started taking the Word of God and started feeding on the Word of God and allowing myself to surrender to what God's Word said, and if it challenged me, I leaned into the challenge, your will, not my will, that's when I started seeing the biggest transformation in my life because he started changing the way I think. I did not have to shift my desire. God shifted my desire for me because I surrendered my life, and a surrendered life is a transformed life, not by your willpower or your strength. If you try to do it on your own, you're at the will, grinding, doing a lot, but getting nowhere. Holiness 
is all about relying on him. The closer I get to him, the farther I will get away from the stuff that's holding me back. Galatians 5.16 says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Think about that. Well, how do I walk by the Spirit? By spending time with the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to lead me. If we would spend more time in prayer and communication and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, who is our helper and our counselor, we would make a lot better decisions in our life. So I have to surrender myself to his word, and I've got to come into fellowship with the Holy Spirit so he can begin to lead me and guide me. Listen, you are both flesh and you are spirit. The one you feed is going to grow. The reason we get so driven by our desire is because that's what we are feeding. We're feeding the flesh side of us. But if we can get to the place where we begin to feed ourselves in the Spirit and with the Spirit and by the Spirit and communicating in the Spirit, then we'll start seeing some things transition and change. That's what I want to talk about next week. I want to talk about the real power that Samson had. It wasn't in the gym that he went to. It was what he had resting on his life. And if you are a believer, the, the Spirit that rested on his life doesn't just rest on your life, it lives inside your life. We just have not tapped into the power of the Spirit because we are so fleshly minded. We are so carnally minded that we don't allow the Spirit of God to do what He wants to do. You know why you see so many mighty miracles throughout the New Testament? It's not because God did things that way that He doesn't do them that way anymore. It's because we've gotten farther and farther away from the communion with the Holy Spirit and the unity of the church that the Spirit of God has no room to move. We're so busy fighting one another that the Spirit of God can't move because he will only move and bless unity. And we see this all around the place, man. Christians fighting Christians over what they believe and what they think. It is foolishness and it is not of God. It is of the devil. It is, a, it is a design of the enemy to distract us from the power that lives inside of us, which is put there so that we will advance the kingdom of God and bring light to darkness. That is our job, to destroy the works of hell. That's it, period, end of sentence. The reason we are still here and not in heaven is because God's got a work for us to do. But we're so captivated by everything else that we never take time to realize who we are in Christ. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So the things that are binding us, we should lay them aside. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But how? How? Through your own strength, through your own power, through your own willpower, through your own self-discipline. It says, verse 2, by looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne 
of God. It's all about looking at Jesus. It's all about resting in him. It's all about receiving his grace and pursuing his presence. That's why Jesus says, come to me, all you people that are worn out, and I'll give you rest. Rest from what? Rest from religion. Rest from what you're trying to do in your own power. He's saying, come to me. I'll do the work for you. Then I'll do the work in you. Holiness is sanctification. It is the process of us becoming more like Christ, which was the original design, created in the likeness and the image of God. Jesus has restored that. Now he begins to take us through this process where he chips away at the flesh and pulls us closer to his heart and his image. That's what holiness is. It's becoming more like Christ, but you can't become more like Christ on your own because you are the problem. You're not the solution. And if you think you're the solution, you're the biggest problem in the room. If you think that you can accomplish it on your own, you are the biggest problem. It's all about resting in him. It's all about relying on his presence in our life. I think the reason we can all relate to the story of Samson is because we can relate to his flaws. I mean, if we're all honest, we know that we're broken. We know that we're flawed. The question is, what do we do with our brokenness? What do we do with our flaws? We can try to hide them. We can accept them, but if you accept them, it's just going to end in death. You can try to fix them on your own, but it's just going to end in frustration. Or the best option, really the only good option, is to bring it to Jesus and allow him to do for you what you can't do for yourself. To simply say, Jesus, I'm so tired of doing life on my own. I desperately need you. I need your spirit to work inside of me, to live inside of me, to produce the desired result for my life. Samson had great power. Samson had great potential. But then it was all stripped away. Samson is a picture of humanity created in the image and the likeness of God. Great power, dominion over the entire earth. That's Samson. That's humanity. Humanity chooses their desire. Samson chooses their desire. Image is destroyed. What they had was lost. But as the story ends, the Bible says his hair begins to grow. That's a picture of Christ and the church. It's a new growth, it's a new life that comes through Christ, the birthing of the church that brings us back into the position we were designed for, to be the body of Christ, to be his image bearers here on this earth, to represent him to the world, to destroy darkness by bringing light. That's who you've been called to be. That is what is available to you if you'll allow the Spirit to begin to work on you and in you and through you. The only responsibility you have in this process is coming to Jesus and saying, I give my life to you. If you're watching online right now, I appeal to you just like Paul. 
Give your life as a living sacrifice and watch what God will do in you and through you. Maybe you've said the prayer of salvation. That's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about more than just eternal salvation. I'm talking about being brought back into your purpose. If you'll say this, Father, change my life and fill me with your spirit. Forgive me of my sins. He'll do a new work in you and give you a new life and take that stony heart, that wicked heart, and give you a new heart. So receive him in Jesus' name. Amen.